I think as we look there at verse 2, there is a, um, a sense of expectation. Because we, when we look in the book of Revelation, we see Israel finally taking her rightful place among the nations because of God's work in her and the conversion of the people and the repentance of all of the uh, rejection of the Messiah and all of those sorts of things that often characterize the Jewish people in the present day as Paul speaks of in Romans 11. So there is a sense in which this will be very much true in the end times. But there is also a sense in which there is a present expectation for Zion to be the joy of the whole earth in the sense that if this is the place that God has chosen and God is present there, there is an obligation for all those who know God to rejoice in Him and in His choice of His people. But a threat rises up. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. God in her palaces has made Himself known as a stronghold. Why that last phrase? Why do we go from it's beautiful and amazing and remarkable to and God defends it? God is a stronghold. Because there's this threat that comes forth. Look at verse 4. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it. Then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. What's going on here? There are uh, two explanations about what is described here in this section. One is that it's a reference to a historical event from the perspective of the person who authored the psalm. So it's described as a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were serving in the context of the tabernacle and later the temple for hundreds of years. So not necessarily from the time of David. There are two historical events that are described as being the reference of this psalm. The first is God's victory that he gives to the Israelites in the days of Jehoshaphat. The second is God's deliverance from the armies of Sennacherib in the days of Hezekiah. Uh, one of the commentaries I was looking at said this, The reference in Psalm 48.4 to the kings, plural, joining forces, seemed to fit the combined armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir better than the single army of Sennacherib. But these armies were turned back before they actually saw Jerusalem, and so he was hesitant to say definitely that that was what it referred to. We'll turn to that passage in just a moment. The other expectation that people see is an end times kind of reference. Uh, think about Psalm 2. Kings gather themselves together in opposition against the Lord and His anointed. Think about the great battles that are described in the book of Revelation and the victory that emerges from those things. Uh, there are two other references that are really interesting. I'm just going to read for you here. One is uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 16. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but uh, you're welcome to if you like. Where it says this.
verse 12, the Lord will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. Verse 16, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. That's one expectation. And then also in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 27, we have this interesting reference in the description of Tyre. And here it says, of this city, they traded with you in choice garments, in cloths of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of many colors and tightly wound cords among your merchandise. The ships of Tarshish were the carriers of your merchandise, and you were filled and very glorious in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you into great waters. The east wind has broken you in the heart of the seas. Whether it is an eschatological end times reference, or whether it is a past reference of what God had done, the conclusion is the same. God's power defeats armies, prevails against the ships of people. Their wealth is not as secure as they think that it is. They ought instead to trust in God. We'll turn to Second Chronicles 20 in just a moment. But listen to this. When it says, the kings assembled themselves, they passed by together, they saw it. Listen to what, the progression in verse 5. Think about what um, Julius Caesar says. I came, I saw, I conquered. Listen to how it describes the kings. They came, they saw, they were amazed, they were terrified, they fled in alarm. No victory there for those who oppose God and His holy city. Turn back to Second Chronicles 20. It came about after this, the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Maonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram, and they were in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Did you not you, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, 
And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them in the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. This is a strange battle. They're not going out with sword. They're going out with song and they're standing by as God delivers them. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. The sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely, and when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. They were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the Valley of Berakah, for they blessed the Lord. Therefore they have named the place the Valley of Berakah until today. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. And we think that's where it stops, but it keeps going. Now Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. He walked in the way of his father Asa and did not depart from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not yet removed. The people had not yet directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first to last, they are written in the annals of Jehu the son of Hanani, which is recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. And look at the last three verses. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. He acted wickedly in doing so. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion and Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of Marisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. I think some of the older commentators were right when they saw in this psalm a reference to 2 Chronicles 20. There is the alliance of the kings that God thwarts. There is the being terrified and fleeing in alarm. There is the panic and the anguish as of a woman in childbirth as they are destroying one another in a time when they thought they had a secure victory at hand. 
Why then the reference to the ships of Tarshish? God doesn't tolerate sinfulness or pride from his people any more than he tolerated the pride of the nations that surrounded and opposed them. And so even in the midst of this expression of God's deliverance, there is also this reminder that if after we see God's hand of deliverance, we in pride think that we don't need God or we can ally ourselves with those who are wicked to gain some advantage for ourselves, God has the right, the authority, and more than enough power to thwart our plans. As we have heard, so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Why the reference to God as the Lord of hosts? Because He's the God that commands armies that can destroy armies without His own people ever lifting a finger. What's a proper response to these things? We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. What was the song they sang as they marched out to battle? They sang about God's mercy, God's loving kindness. They thought about it when they marched out. I'm sure they thought about it when they gathered back at the temple afterward. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Some people see a reference to the cities of Judah rejoicing, which would, I think, be very fitting to the context of God having delivered them from slavery and defeat. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. So this psalm is bracketed by God and the city, the city and God. But what was the city supposed to remind them of? Think about in the time of Jesus, what had the temple, the city of Jerusalem, become? It had become an excuse for them to make vows and then break them, something that they exalted even more than they respected God and followed His law wholeheartedly. The focus was never supposed to be on the city. And I think in part, that's why God allowed the Babylonians and the Romans and others to destroy at different points in history the city of Jerusalem so that his people would not trust in the city but rather recognize it to be the place where their God dwelled. As long as they trusted in a place instead of in God, as long as they trusted in something God had given them, whether it be the Ark of the Covenant or the Tabernacle or the Temple, instead of in God himself, they were not honoring God rightly. There's probably a point of application for us, a slight correction in our understanding of our own relationship with God. Many times we speak of the point of trusting in Jesus as being so that we go to heaven. And in that, we may be very much like the Israelites. Do we want to go to heaven? Yes. But heaven is not heaven apart from God's presence, and God's presence is what makes it heaven, and He is the one that we're supposed to focus on and have a relationship with. And that's important because if we don't have that understanding, we get fixated on the place, we forget the character of the God who has called us, and we begin to think, it doesn't matter what I do between here and then because I've already got my ticket to the destination. It's more like being married to someone. 
Marriages don't work unless you actively involve yourself with, self with them and build them and develop them and keep working at them. Our relationship with God is like that. Not that it would fail, as some marriages do because of, of human sinfulness, at least on God's part, but the aspect of having to work at our relationship with God because the core of eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Part of the reward of that is, yes, spending eternity in heaven with God. But let's not get fixated on a place because like the people of Israel, if we recounted this psalm and we said, glorious is Zion, and we didn't say great is God, would have missed the point of it. And so from this psalm, what do we take away? Praise God who defends Zion, and by way of application to ourselves, praise God, who is our God, who grants to us the privilege to look forward to being in His presence forever someday, in a place, yes, but the place is not the focus, God is. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, His holy mountain, Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. Why did God preserve the city? In part, so that those who were so delivered would tell their children of God's mighty works so that they would follow and trust in Him as well. And that's another important reminder for us in our church. We have a rich heritage of people who have trusted in God and followed God for generations. But it is our responsibility to pass on those truths to our children so that the truth in this place doesn't die out with us. Look at verse 14. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. Or some say He will guide us forever. God is with us. We are His people. We can trust in His power which He has demonstrated time and again and we ought to praise Him for it. 